0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. You'll find that portion of scripture, Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35, on page 820. And the pew Bibles in front of you. And once you've found that, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. That would be cool. Again, starting in verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will not enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, Your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated.
1: I now know why you asked me, am I going to pray? Because I did not pray for Nate and Hope. So, your pastor's a little slow, brother. So, we're going to pray for Nate and Hope like I said we would. They are asking prayer for their marriage and just to be lights and witnesses in their workplace, okay? Okay. So uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. My encouragement is to pray uh, for them alongside me. And you just need to know I'm going to uh, roll into prayer for us just to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit as well as we turn our attention uh, back to the Gospel of Luke, okay? So let's go in prayer to our Lord. Lord, thank you for uh, crossing our paths with the path of Nate and Hope, Lord as they go through their life Lord I ask that you would bless their marriage uh, that they would each exude Jesus leaving the aroma of Jesus through speech, through actions through thoughts one to another but then as their marriage is witnessed from others on the outside looking in that their Marriage would be what it is designed to be. And that's to be a witness, a picture of Jesus. That people around them in their neighborhood, in their work, would see the way that they love one another, care for one another, speak to one another, speak Jesus to one another, that people would see Jesus in their marriage. Lord, I ask that the carryover of these things, just being that they work together at shields, that you, Lord, would bring many co-workers to repent, to believe, turning from sin, turning to Jesus, as a result of the doors of opportunity that you open up for them to be light, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask now that as we turn our attention to Luke 13 that you would speak, that you would open our eyes to see you, King Jesus, that you would open our minds to understand the gravity of the text before us, that this language of strive to enter the narrow door what does that mean and does the meaning of it is it true for me the enemy of our soul wants to distract us in the moment to rob gospel seeds that are about to be sown into our hearts and minds so Lord would you protect us from the evil one whose aim is to do whatever he can to make sure we don't see Jesus right now. But by your power and in your resurrection strength, would you stay the enemy so that we would hear clearly the good news that Jesus Christ is the narrow door. It's in your name, King Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Well, sermon title for today is literally coming right out of verse 24. So, in your copy of scripture, again, if you've got a hard copy, I'd highly encourage you to open up to Luke 13. If it's a digital copy, go ahead and open that app, scroll to the beginning there in verse 22. But as you're doing that in your copy of Scripture, the bread and butter, the, uh, the epicenter, I guess, if you want to say, of this text is found right there in verse 24 where Jesus is going to give this command to strive to enter through the narrow door. And so that's why our sermon title is Strive to Enter because the main idea from Jesus himself is strive to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. This language that we see coming out of this text is this idea of there can be entry into God's kingdom. It is possible for sinners to become citizens of God's kingdom. It is possible for sinners to be saved, to find eternal life, to be able to be folded into the family of God. These are all synonymous terms the Bible uses to talk about salvation. And Jesus specifically in this text is going to talk about salvation found in him alone. And he's going to talk about it through this language of entry, this picture of going through a door, entering into his kingdom, And so a question that we can ask just to get our mind rolling in the right direction is really some questions that flow around this theme that Jesus is going to begin to introduce and that Luke is going to carry out for us over the next several chapters to come. So if you wanted to prime your mind to begin to just get ready for where Luke is taking us, you can ask a question like this, will only a few people be saved? In other words, will only a few people find themselves as citizens in the kingdom of God? Or if you wanted to ask the same question in maybe a little bit of a different way, you can ask this question, who will enter Jesus' kingdom? Like what is going to be sort of like the demographic, the makeup of the kind of people, the identity of those who will find themselves as citizens in Jesus' kingdom. As Luke takes us deeper and deeper into his gospel, this theme of the number and the identity of the Savior's people, this is the theme that Luke is inviting us to wrestle with And he's grabbing our attention with this command from Jesus to strive to enter into his kingdom through the narrow door. If you remember now, we've been working through Luke in little chunks now for a little while, but if you remember, one of the ways I've explained Luke's gospel, it's 24 chapters. It's one of the longer gospels. There's a lot of content there, but if you want to break it down real simple, we said you can approach Luke's gospel and explain it as sort of something like this, a salvation sandwich. So think of a sandwich. You've got Two ends, very important ends. You've got one very important middle. You've got bread, bread, and you've got something in the middle. If you want to grasp that idea and lay it on top of Luke's gospel, it's actually not a bad way to approach thinking about Luke's gospel. The bread parts of Luke's gospel are the first nine chapters and the last five chapters, and they have everything to do with salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. For the first nine chapters, Luke said, I want you to understand the great salvation that Jesus has come to accomplish. The last five chapters said, Luke says, let me tell you about how he actually accomplished the salvation he came to bring. And really, if you wanted to, you could just stitch the two pieces of bread together. You could roll right out of the end of chapter 9 right into the middle of chapter 19 and it is actually a really seamless transition. This is who Jesus is and this is why He is able to be the Savior that he's come to be. This is the kind of salvation He's bringing and then you could roll right into the events of the week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus and then Luke could have just shut it down in a fistful of chapters, but he doesn't. Because... In between the two pieces of bread of the salvation sandwich, Luke gives us ten chapters of meat, so to speak. And the question is, why? What's going on with these middle ten chapters, the meat part of the salvation sandwich? Really, these middle chapters and verses that we just find ourselves smack dab in the middle of. Really, if you want to boil these ten questions down, these ten questions are designed by Luke to answer this question So what? So what? We hear often, if you talk to Christians, hear Christian preaching, Jesus came to accomplish salvation. He did accomplish salvation, but we struggle to wrestle with, well, what does that mean for me? In his book, How People Change, Paul Tripp talks about this struggle in the here and now. He calls it the gospel gap. We recognize and most of us could articulate the importance of Jesus dying on the cross. Salvation passed. And we can... Then articulate in some maybe loose or simple way that because of what Jesus accomplished in salvation past, this means something for me in the future. I've got a hope secured in the promise of resurrection life. I know that heaven is my home, but this gap, this present tense gap between salvation past and salvation future, like what does it mean for me in the here and now? Luke says, I am here to help any who are going to pick up their cross deny self, die daily and follow Jesus, he says, I don't want you to have to guess at how to figure out the present tense gospel gap. Because Jesus has come and because Jesus has accomplished the salvation I need, Luke says, let me show you in an orderly way what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so if you go back into chapter 9, verse 51, that is where he began to do this very thing. And we know this because what Luke does is in this meat part of the Luke salvation sandwich, he repeatedly reminds us, hey, don't forget, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Hey, don't forget, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And he keeps dropping every couple of chapters these little timestamp reminders But if you remember that when Luke does this, this is his way of saying, heads up, I'm about to teach you something about what it means to follow Jesus. You need to remember, he is heading to Jerusalem to accomplish the salvation he came to bring and he always couples that salvation stamp with a question. Hey, remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem and then somebody somewhere around Jesus comes and says, hey, Jesus, what about this? And Luke says, it's important for you as a disciple to wrestle with this question that was on the lips of people then, and it's most likely a question you're wrestling with now as you're seeking to follow Jesus. And so in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke began with this little timestamp saying, hey, everybody, you need to remember the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, so he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he gave another timestamp like that in chapter 10. And now the third one shows up here in the very first verse of our text. We are starting a brand new timestamp section, meaning a brand new discipleship theme is sitting in front of us. So as these travel notes unfold before us, Verse 22, Luke tells us yet again that Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward where? Jerusalem. There's your timestamp. Now notice, right on the heels of this timestamp, stamp, Luke says, someone says to Jesus, speaks up to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? There's your question. And what he's saying is, I'm about to, Luke, help you wrestle with this key issue, this idea of dealing with the number and the identity of those who are going to be saved. I want you to wrestle with who are the people who make up the citizenry of the kingdom of King Jesus. In other words, who are the people, what are they like who have found salvation in Christ alone? Since the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, since it's like leaven, yeast, in bread, it starts small but grows huge as people enter in. That's literally the verses that preoccupy what Jesus is talking about right before this time stamp. A very natural question is to stand back and go, okay, if God's kingdom, the kingdom of King Jesus is growing and expanding and it's invading people's hearts and minds and lives as it keeps folding in sinners, saving them, finding salvation, it is a natural question to ask, well, how many are going to be in this kingdom and what, what are they like? Who will enter this kingdom? The shocking thing is that Jesus takes this question and he answers it in the, Jesus, the most Jesus way that could ever possibly be done. He takes and goes, I've heard what you said, now I'm going to give you an answer that you just weren't even expecting. And what you see is that as Jesus turns this question, he hears it and he turns it into a matter of urgency. The key word here is the word strive. That's what's going on in verses 22 through 30, strive. So look at your Bible starting in verse 23. Luke tells us that someone, we don't know who, speaks up in the midst of what we're going to see here in a moment as a crowd and shouts this question to Jesus. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? Jesus heard this person's question and then said to them, Question from individual. I'm going to speak now to the crowd. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able, he says. Now, we don't know for sure why this person asked this question. Are they trying to like trip Jesus up? Is this a genuine question like of, of inquiry? Like We really want to know, Jesus. We're paying attention to what you're saying. And we're we're tr- truly trying to wrestle with these things. We've got a genuine question here. We don't quite know, but what we do know is this, is that Jesus seizes this opportunity to stress the urgency of making sure you, you have actually entered into his kingdom. In other words... Jesus answering the question, will those who are saved be few, with you need to strive to make sure you're entering in through the narrow door, is Jesus saying, don't let your concern land in the wrong place. It's Jesus basically saying, don't put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. He's looking at you saying, the the temptation in this moment right now might want to be the number of people that are going to be saved, but he said it shouldn't be on the number that's concerning you it should be the identity of those who are saved for some of us we want to approach Jesus and put the emphasis Lord will those who are saved be few we want to know how many are in he says you shouldn't be concerned about the few you should be concerned about the who and are you among the who that will find salvation in me because you have entered in through the narrow door thus Jesus says strive 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 to enter through the narrow door, or as one translation puts it, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. Doors are designed to take us from one place to the next. Jesus is saying that there is a door that people must enter to enter into his kingdom strive to enter through the narrow door why why the command to strive notice what jesus says at the end of verse 24 because many will seek to enter god's kingdom and will not be able many are going to try to get in many will not be able Now, it's important to step back, to stop, to take a deep breath and ask the question, what is Jesus teaching? Well, here is what he is not teaching. Jesus is not teaching that there are people who genuinely want to enter into his presence, who genuinely want to enter into his kingdom, who are genuinely going to strive to enter through the narrow door of Jesus Christ himself, and Jesus is going to stand there and say, I'm sorry, you just can't be in. I don't care how much you want to be in. I don't care how much you're trusting in me. I don't care how much you desire to be in my presence. I am telling you, you just don't get to because I'm I'm stingy like that. Not what he's teaching. Not what he's teaching. It's also important to notice that Jesus isn't teaching a works based salvation. He's not teaching that. We hear the word strive, or even that one translation work hard to enter the narrow door. What you need to know, and you're going to hear me say this couple of times over the next several minutes is the way of salvation is God's plan the way of salvation for sinners men women rich poor black white old young smart not so smart to find entrance into the kingdom it is God's plan he has given us the way to salvation the command to strive is Jesus's happy delightful good invitation to come and say listen there is a way, singular, a door, singular, for you to find salvation in me. Strive, make sure that you are not banking your hope of salvation on anything else but the narrow door. Jesus Christ alone. So what we could say is this. What Jesus is teaching is that Jesus' is teaching is that there are many who believe that entry into God's kingdom... Entry into eternal life, entry into salvation can come through any number of doors. There's many who believe this. It doesn't matter. There might be 20 different paths, 20 different doors, and we could all walk through 20 different ways, and people are going to bank their hope on any of the number of those doors to walk through them and find entry into his kingdom, But the truth is, says Jesus, you will not be able to enter into my kingdom through these doors. Why? Because there is only one door. There's only one door that leads to eternal life in my kingdom. And the only door which God has appointed for eternal life is me, says Jesus. It's me. We can take Jesus at his word. When in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says this about himself from his own lips. I am the door. Can't get any more plain than this. I am the door, he says. If anyone enters by me, guess what? He will be saved that's the promise of salvation found for man woman wherever they're at when they come to the place to see i've been banking my life on any number of doors trying hoping wishing that these will lead to eternal life jesus comes in kindness says these doors will not lead to eternal life i am the door that leads to eternal life Later in John's Gospel, Jesus doubles down on this idea when he says quite famously in John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Listen, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's door language. That's door language. Jesus is the narrow door. So when he is looking to the crowd, Jesus will... Few, emphasis on the few, be saved. He's like, no, no, no. you need to wrestle with, will you be saved? Because you are banking on the only hope of me, striving to enter into the kingdom through me, striving to agonize, to make every effort to make sure that your hope of salvation is resting on me and me alone. Jesus is the narrow door that leads to eternal life in his kingdom, thus his very loving and his very kind command strive to enter. Friends, the gate is narrow in this sense. It's not doors, it's door, singular. And so the wrestling point for any person ever to hear these kind of words coming out of my mouth as I think I am faithfully exposing to us what Jesus is saying is to wrestle with this idea the exclusivity of Christ alone as the only hope of salvation is a sticking point for many because it sounds very intolerant it sounds very unloving for Jesus to say "I'm I'm the way the only way I'm not one of, on a smorgasbord buffet of doors to salvation. But you can also approach it like this. It is extremely loving and extremely kind for the one who can actually bring salvation to our souls to come and say, I, don't, I love you enough to not let you think that these paths will lead you to life. I love you enough to help you see I am the path, the door that will lead to eternal life. It's like a doctor who genuinely has the cure for cancer, singular, not cures, cure. And you all of a sudden come down with stage four cancer. And you start going for all kinds of doors, hoping that these doors lead to a cure. And this doctor steps back and be like, well, you know, it's sort of intolerant to tell this person that I'm. I'm the only I'm the only one with the cure, so I'm just gonna let them go and anchor hope and anchor the hope of life and money and time and energy and expense and all these other doors. We would grasp the fact that no, you're not being intolerant to say you you are the one with the cure, period. You would be loving to say, I am begging you not to go through these other doors, but to go through this door that will lead to the cure to cancer. We grasp that fact, Jesus, on a much more heightened scale is doing doing the exact same thing friends the gate is narrow the work is great the enemies of your soul are many thus the invitation from jesus is don't wait for anybody strive you now today this second strive to enter into the narrow door. You are not to ask, what are other people doing? Should I do it? If they do it, if they're not doing it, should maybe? He's like, no, strive to enter. Don't ask whether your neighbors are going. Strive now. Don't ask if your relatives are going to one day get through. You, strive now. Your friends, are they serving Jesus? I don't know. You, stop, consider. Am I striving to enter into the narrow door? Listen, the unbelief and the indecision of others will be no excuse for you at the last day. For some of us, we're like sort of waiting and we're, we're putting off this striving obedience to this command to strive to enter through the narrow door, because we're just waiting for something, and we can fill in the blank with all kinds of things. We're waiting for our job to get figured out. We're waiting for this trouble with mom to get figured out. We're waiting for this this health scare with grandpa to get taken care of. We're waiting for our marriage to get fixed. We're waiting for our kids to get older. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and Jesus, I think here, the implication what he's saying is, listen, if you keep waiting, if you keep dancing around the door, if you keep just describing the door, if you just come up and just touch the door if you come up and just say i know how the door is made and i know the hinges on the door and i can i can give you the intricate detail of the door there's going to come a day here in a minute when that door shuts and you will be on the outside you will not be on the inside and when you stand before jesus saying i I was just sort of waiting and i was indecisive he's saying that will be no excuse for why you did not strive to enter Therefore, the encouragement, I think, from Jesus is to determine this, settle it in your heart and mind. If I am the one who goes to heaven alone, I am going to go. I'm striving to the door of Jesus Christ. Today is the day I want to do it. You see, this is what striving to enter the narrow door looks like. It looks like agonizing. That's the, that's the interesting idea behind the word strive, In the original language, it's the word that gives us our English word, agonize. Agonize, he says. Contend for the prize of salvation. Struggle, work hard, make every effort. Again, not so you can stand before Jesus and say, look at all my works, I have earned the right into heaven. Know what Jesus is saying, what you're doing is you're struggling in heart, soul, mind, and strength to say, I will make sure that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, His righteousness applied to my account. I am not going to trust in the sweetest frame. My hope is going to rest on Jesus' name, period, amen. That's the idea of strife. That's the idea of strife agonizing to lay hold of jesus by faith if you're if this idea of faith could all of a sudden grow arms jesus is saying use your arms to do this jesus and i ain't letting go and i'm going to fight to make sure insofar as up to me that my faith arms are clinging to jesus that's the word picture that jesus has given us in this moment Now, the reason why Jesus commands that we strive to enter is because this is what we see in verses 25 through 28, that salvation is more than just familiarity with Jesus. Isn't that the temptation? Familiarity with Jesus. So you might find someone say like, hey, I'm not opposed to your Jesus. I'm not opposed to your church. I'm not opposed to Christianity. I'm not opposed to your Bible. I'm not opposed to your prayer. I'm not opposed to you and your gospel. I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed. Not being opposed is not the same as entry through the door. Familiarity with Jesus does not have an equal sign salvation. This is what Jesus is going to teach us using a little story here in verses 25 through 28. He tells about the master of a house having shut the door and his hearers as among those who are begging to enter into that door. If you look in verse 25 and you look in verse 27, notice twice in these verses, the master in Jesus' story asserts something to be true about those banging on the door, begging for entry into the door. Jesus says this master is going to tell them, I do not know you, he says. I do not know where you come from. But notice in verse 26, Verse 26 is the key to understanding what's going on here. In verse 26, the people in Jesus' story raise their hand and say, we actually beg to differ. We think we are right with you. We we do know you and you do know us. Sure, you know us, Master, but notice the language that they use to try to convince the Master in the story that we're actually personal and we're intimate in our relationship. They're going to say, we ate... Verse 26, we drank in your presence. You taught in our streets, master. In other words, no, I think we're familiar. We we know one another, right? We're tight. You know us. We know you. We've heard a few sermons in our day about this Jesus. We weren't opposed to you. We sat at the table with you. We ate, we drank, we were, we were chummy, we were friends, we shared meals, we were in the crowd when you came through our town and you were preaching sermons. But notice in using this illustration, Jesus is exposing this false assumption that many believe. What is this false assumption? It's the false assumption that familiarity with Jesus is the same as having a place in his kingdom. And he says that's not true because you have to strive to enter through the door, me, to be in the kingdom. Just knowing about me familiar with me not being opposed to me is not the same so for the audience in Jesus's day the way this would have landed on their ears is like this these are Jews people of Israel they would have just assumed that being a member of the race of Israel we've got the covenants thank you very much We've got the prophets, thank you very much. We've got the law of God, thank you very much. We've got temple worship, thank you very much. All these things ensure that we are going to be in the kingdom of God. But this door, says Jesus, will not lead to eternal life in God's kingdom. Mere association with me, loose acquaintance with me will not guarantee entry into the kingdom. Bring this forward into today. And the same false assumption exists. Maybe you've wrestled with some of these things. Maybe you've talked with neighbors and coworkers and family and friends who, who are banking their hope of eternal life on having just sort of swam loosely in the waters of Jesus stuff. See, our culture assumes that there are just many doors to salvation. And that Jesus is happy to give entry to his kingdom in many number of ways. Many believe that the doors of Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or Judaism will enter into salvation. Many believe the doors of being a spiritual person. Merely knowing about Jesus. Or simply being aware of his existence will lead to entry in God's kingdom. Many believe the door of growing up in a godly family, the door of a Christian upbringing, the door of church tradition, the door of obedience, the door of being a good moral person will swing them wide open into eternal life in heaven. But the sobering, reality is this that according to jesus many 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 are going to close their eyes in death walking through a door they believe will lead them into salvation only to discover their door swung open into hell In other words, it led them to the place of verse 28. Where Jesus said, in that place, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In what place? The place where people banked on the door, not Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you hear my voice today, evaluate whether you're banking on the narrow, singular door of me evaluate please because there's coming a day when if you don't strive to enter through the narrow door of me you're going to see abraham and you're going to see isaac and you're going to see jacob and you're going to see all the prophets the people you thought you were going to be hobnobbing with and the big eternal party in heaven you're going to actually see them in the kingdom but where are you going to be you will be cast out why because abraham isaac jacob the prophets they were entering through the narrow door of faith in a messiah And that is the reason why they're going to be reclining at table in the kingdom forever. But you thought you were going to be reclining with them based upon every other door but me. And so I love you too much to let you continue to strive to enter through these false doors. And to invite you to graciously come and enter and strive through the narrow door. It would be like, like, do we see this in the Bible? I think we see a picture of this. Go back in the Old Testament, what's a famous story? Children's story, has a lot of animals, two by two. What's the story? What is it? Noah and the Ark. Noah and the Ark, great children's story, but if you think about it, it is a story that is is ripe with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more than you could ever possibly imagine because Noah was called by God to be a preacher of Judgment, says Peter. So Noah is going around telling everybody, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. God's plan of salvation in that moment was what? A big giant boat called an ark. There was no other entry into the ark except for a singular door. Door. Now imagine if for all those years Noah was building the ark, sanding the door to the ark, crafting the hinges. Hey guys, I, I invented these myself. I'm pretty proud of these, these hinges here. I can tell you how many planks, I can tell you how many feet and inches are of the door. Rain start to fall and Noah's standing on the outside going, man, that is one spectacular door. Rains come, rains fall, flood increases and Noah sinks Salvation comes by just standing around the door, outside the door, knowing a lot about the door, the size of the boards in the door, the certain pitch and tar combination it took to waterproof the door. None of those things familiar to the door brought salvation to Noah. What brought salvation to Noah? Noah had to get in through that door. He had to go through the door. In that moment, salvation, Noah, will be found for you, your wife, your sons, and their daughters, and all these animals by getting in through the door into my salvation for you. That is just a microscopic example of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He is saying, I am the door of the ark, so to speak. If you want salvation, it's found in me. Enter into the door. Enter into the door. So if we scan back from all that Jesus has been saying so far, what can we say? We can say this then. We could say that the answer to the question, will only a few be saved, is technically yes and it's technically no. Will only a few be saved? In one sense, the answer is yes. It's going to be fewer than you would expect to be saved because many refuse to enter the narrow door of salvation in Christ alone. But while that is true, it's also simultaneously true that the answer to the question, will only a few be saved, is also in a sense no, because, says Jesus in verses 29 and 30, it's actually going to be a lot more than anyone could ever possibly imagine. That's what he's saying in verses 29 and 30. People are going to be coming from east, west, north, south. What he's helping his Jewish audience in the moment understand is salvation is not of the Jews only, it's of the Gentiles. And all of us Gentiles said, amen. Worthy north, south, east, west that Jesus is talking about here. They're going to recline at table in the kingdom of God. Behold, verse 30, some who are last. These are going to be first. Some who are first are going to be last. In other words, what Jesus is saying, when it comes to those who will be saved... There are those that we would have thought, surely this person is in. Surely they're in. Based upon whatever pedigree, actions, thoughts, or whatever. But actually they're the first who are going to be last. And then there's the people in our lives who are like, I don't know that Jesus can save this person. They are so far gone, they have done so much damage, they have hurt so many people, they have acted in ways that would make the devil blush, and Jesus says, actually, those are the people that are going to be in. Why? Because if they strive and enter through the narrow gate of Jesus Christ, they're going to be supping at the table with King Jesus. Heaven is going to, I think, be one mind-boggling revelation after one mind-boggling revelation at the time. Of atrocious sinners that have been saved by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's like, Yeah, I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot more than you think. And it's also going to be fewer than you think. That's what Jesus is talking about there. And it's these, though, those thought to be included in God's kingdom that are going to be excluded by their own refusal to enter through the narrow door, that is the cause for sorrow, the cause for lament that we find in these last couple of verses. So real quick, just look at your Bible here. We'll touch on this last point real quick. You see, Jesus turned to lament. Verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox... This is important language here. Behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today, tomorrow, and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. What is Jesus saying here in verses 31, 32, and 33? He's saying this Jesus, the door, will accomplish his great salvation. He's going to do it. Will language of promise it's going to happen where do i get this from i get it from jesus himself who said i cast out demons and perform cures today tomorrow and notice he says the third day that third day should give should cast your mind forward to what easter first easter on the third day jesus rose from the dead So he said, I'm going about my my work that God has called me to do today and tomorrow, but what you need to know is there's coming a third day, and on that very special first Easter, that very special third day, I am going to accomplish my great salvation I came to bring. The truth is, Jesus is saying, nothing is going to stop the march of me toward victorious resurrection. You need to know this. But then when Jesus says, but you also need to know this, I'm going on my way today and tomorrow, but then he says the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus is saying this, just as true as this statement is, that nothing is going to stop my forward march toward victorious resurrection. Nothing is going to stop my march toward my crucifixion. And it is my crucifixion today, tomorrow, and the next day, and my victorious resurrection today, tomorrow, on the third day, I am going to accomplish the salvation I came to bring. Yet while this is true verses 34 and 35 some are still going to refuse Christ's great salvation and that's what breaks and burdens the heart of the Savior. Thus Jesus' lament Jerusalem Jerusalem the prophets you love were pointing to me Yet you refuse to strive to enter the narrow door of me. You're the city that kills prophets. You stone those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. The unwillingness of many To enter through the narrow door of Jesus is cause for great sorrow on the part of Jesus and on the part of Jesus' people. Has your heart ever broken? Lamented? Burdened to the point of where you physically felt unwell at the person who heard about, Jesus, heard about Jesus, has 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 heard about Jesus, and still says, Don't want it don't want it. I refuse to enter the narrow door of Jesus to Image Jesus in this moment is to have a heart that doesn't go, ah, you win some, you lose some. It's to have a heart that succumbs to the biblical idea of lament. Burdened to the point of sadness and sorrow at this person rejecting God's truth. Jesus is burdened over those who will be forsaken and cast out because they refuse to strive to enter through the narrow door jesus's heart is burdened for the many who are going to repent too late his heart is burdened for those who are going to believe too late who are going to sorrow for sin too late, begin to pray too late, to be anxious about salvation too late, to long for heaven too late. Friends, it is an awful fact that many myriads, legions of people will one day wake up in another world and only then be truly convinced of truths which on earth they refused to believe and it will all be too late will be too late. Thus, Jesus, strive. Strive now. Strive to enter the narrow door. Strive and cling to me with the arms of faith. I am your hope of salvation. According to Jesus' story, there is coming a day on earth when the capital M Master is going to (coughs) shut the door. According to 1 Peter, Noah preached judgment to come for hundreds of years convinced there's coming a day when the rains are going to fall and the door is going to be shut you all have the opportunity to be on the ark with me but guess what out of all that were on earth how many people strove to enter the door of salvation eight and this burdens the heart of Jesus there's a day coming on earth when the door of mercy will be shut according to Jesus and so the question to wrestle with this morning is this will I be among the many who refuse or will I be among the few who strive to enter? Let's pray. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, you teach us that right now, The active enemy of our soul is seeking to rob the seeds of gospel truth that have just been sown. And So, Lord, I pray the prayer I prayed at the beginning. Lord, would you protect us from the evil one? Some of us haven't wrestled with questions like this in a while some of us have wrestled with these questions and we are walking the path of like i'm just flat out refusing i've heard the stories pastor jonathan thank you very much and i've grown up in church very much i honestly don't see the point thank you very much i'm going to refuse lord would you break through today lord if there's someone here that has questions about these things would you please help them to not have this conversation just with themselves but to actually seek help to wrestle with these things in real, practical, tangible ways. Holy Spirit, if you are working on someone's heart right now, would you please bring them to the conviction or right now in this second, at this very moment, by faith, they're going to say this in their own heart to you. Maybe it's a simple prayer that sounds like this. Jesus, I am convinced. I need no more convincing. You are the door. By faith, I'm entering into salvation right this second right now jesus it's me i'm telling you you're you're my hope of salvation i'm entering right now lord do that work in that person's heart would you bring a smile to their face because salvation has come to them in this moment those convinced that they need to strive to enter through the narrow door of jesus are doing that because jesus is wooing them and drawing them to see their need to enter into the narrow door salvation has come from above Lord, would this be a moment of rejoicing? If this is where they are at this morning, Lord Jesus, would you bring them to go and find someone and share that with? Like, I need to tell you right now, when Pastor Jonathan was praying, I I, I just entered in. I, I, I was just one who was just saved. Lord, would they make that known? Lord, wherever anyone is working, you are working on them, wherever they find themselves, Lord Jesus, would you help us to walk in obedience to however you're leading? Jesus. It's in your name that I pray these things. Amen.